Matthew 13, verse 44, is a very powerful verse in the Bible. And I just want to jump right in this morning and share this verse with you. I don't have an opening joke this time, don't have opening story. I just want to simply share this amazing verse. And I hope that this verse will then shape the rest of our time together this morning. So again, it's Matthew 13, verse 44. And uh, it begins by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like... Now, whenever we see those words, uh, Jesus said those words many times, uh, it's probably a really good idea to pay attention to what comes after that. So it says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So this verse is comparing treasures on earth to treasures in heaven, and there's no comparison. When this man found the treasure, he instantly realized it was far greater than anything he could ever have on this earth. He realized this treasure that I just found is worth losing everything else for. So the question is this, do we treat heaven in this way? Do we live our lives knowing that the treasure that awaits us is far greater than anything we could ever have here on earth? Today's message is about contentment. And I will admit, it's not always an easy subject to discuss, especially when certain things happen in our lives, but this morning I want to talk about two different things. As Christians, when should we be content, and when should we not be content? A few years ago, I was writing a sermon for a youth group, and I uh, wanted to kind of uh, map out one of my days off, and the purpose of this was to then compare all the things that I did that day with some things that people in other parts of the world have or don't have. And I know you've heard some of these statistics before. Um, The purpose behind this is not to make us feel bad. It's not to um, make you say, oh, here's another sermon making me get rid of all my stuff. You know, that's that's not the purpose of that. Um, There there is a point to it. But I want to share some of those um, statistics that I shared with the youth that day. Uh, There are one billion people in the world today who live on less than $1 per day. Only 9% of the world's population owns a vehicle. Uh, Over 90% of Americans have access to internet, where only uh, less than 40% of people in other parts of the world um, combined have access to it. 85% of the world's population makes less than $200 a month, and if you make $45,000 or more per year, you are in the top 5% of wealthiest people in the world. Yet somehow, there was a survey done, and and a lot of Americans took the survey, and only 43% of them in America said that they were blessed. Here's another crazy one. The average family income in Crawfordsville, Indiana, ranks in the top 14% of the world's richest communities. So with all this in mind, there's a lot of different uh, points and analogies you can make with this. Um, Again, it's not to make us feel bad. It's simply to make us aware. We have been blessed beyond measure just by where we live. But the truth is this. Even if we didn't have all of these things, even if we didn't have the resources that we have, should we still be content? Absolutely. We are children of the Most High God. It's the highest honor to be called a child of God. So even if we didn't have this stuff, we should still be content. I'll tell you something uh, right now. 
I am filthy rich. (laughs) Not because of the statistics I just told you. I am filthy rich because my father owns everything. How cool is that? He owns everything. So again, we are rich compared to most of the world. But the more important wealth is found in our relationship with him. Being content is an issue of the heart. Um, The Bible talks about being content in all situations. So this first uh, category I'm talking about where we are supposed to be content, anything that happens in my life, all of my circumstances, anything that happens to me, I am called to be content in every situation, no matter what comes my way. Um, The Apostle Paul was someone who taught about um, this idea of contentment and what it really meant. Now, um, Philippians 4.13 is a verse that many of you probably know. It's very well quoted uh, in the Bible, and it says that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But what some people may not be aware of is the two verses leading up to that verse talk about this idea of contentment. So I'm going to read that. We'll read that together, Philippians 4.11 and 12. The verses leading up to it say this. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then, he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So when we hear that verse, Philippians 4.13, from now on, let's remember what comes before it. We know from scripture that the Apostle Paul was someone who uh, early on, earlier in his life, he was very rich, very powerful, could get whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. So that was one extreme. The other extreme, though, is after he became a Christian. Shipwrecked, flogged, beaten, very little money, didn't have much at all. And so if anybody would know what it's like to have a lot or a little, it would be the Apostle Paul. And he tells us, he's, he's telling us in this passage, I know what it's like to have a lot, and believe me, I know what it's like to have nothing. But I've learned, no, no matter what the case, I've learned the secret of being content. Why? Because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's a lot easier for us to be content when things are going well. Things are not going so well, it's a lot more difficult. Um, sometimes in the, in the hard times of life, we may lose sight of the blessings that we currently have and the ones that are to come. But the Bible teaches, again, be content no matter what comes our way. Um, in his book, Explicit Gospel, Matt Chandler has a great quote. He puts it like this. We question God when bridges fall, but fail to wonder at his grace for every bridge that doesn't. So there's a lot of pain and suffering, as we know that'll go on in this world, but there's also so many blessings that come from God and God alone, and we need to remember those, be mindful of those, even when times get rough. I believe even in someone's earthly death, we're called to be content in that situation. I know it's kind of a weird thing to discuss, but um, I believe it to be true. Now, we're we're taught that it's healthy to mourn um, when a loved one passes away. It's not, I'm not saying it's something that should make us happy when that occurs, What I am saying is this, we are not a product of time. We are a product of eternity. I wanna say that again, I hope that sinks in. We're not a product of time, we're a product of eternity. And so if that's the case, maybe God's healing did come through our loved one's earthly death 
so they could be with him, no more pain, no more problems. The truth is this, and this is something that's easier to say than it is to live out, but Jesus cares far more about our spiritual needs, our spiritual life, than he does our physical needs. Now, does he, does he care about our physical needs? Absolutely, of course. He cares about every last detail of us, but he cares the most about what we need spiritually. And so a story from scripture that I often think about when it comes to this, um, pertains to this example, is when Jesus fed the 5,000. Now many people, they, they know that story and uh, they just think about how it was a miracle and just a little bit of food and he feeds 5,000 men and uh, there's basketfuls left over. And so one of his greatest miracles um, was performing that. But the coming days after that miracle occurred, some of the men went to seek after Jesus, but they weren't looking for him to make him the Lord of their life. They were looking for him because they were hungry again. Like, you fed us before, and he can probably feed us again. We've got to go find him, and maybe he'll feed us again. And so, basically, they were missing the point. How many of you get hungry again after you eat? A couple hours, maybe? Maybe the next day at the most? They were missing the point. Jesus did not feed them just so their physical needs would be met. Do you think that was his goal? Yeah, I'm going to feed you, and then when you get hungry again, just come find me. We'll just keep doing this. Over. No, his, his goal was to show them their spiritual needs could be met through him. And so we really have to think about that. If, if Jesus does care more about our spiritual needs than our physical needs, then sometimes, we have to understand, sometimes our physical needs may not be met in the ways that we would like. If something bigger is going on, if there's a larger purpose being played out in our spiritual lives. I think um, one of the problems with our uh, pursuit of being content in the world today is something that I would consider kind of the opposite of contentment, which is complaining. Um, and Tyler Davis uh, talked about this a little bit last week. Um, there's so much uh, complaining in the world today, whether it's from our own mouths or whether it's from the media, um, other people. Um, and it's really hard to be content when we're exposed to that. Uh, the crazy thing is lots of times we may complain about something that other people wish that they had, which is kind of interesting. Um, we may complain about our job when there's just so many people who do anything for a job. Uh, person may uh, complain about their kids when there's a couple in the same room that would do anything to be able to have kids. Um, a kid may complain about their parents when how many kids would do anything for a mom or a dad. Some of you may complain when Purdue doesn't make the final four and that just, it's not going to happen. So just, <laughs> um, I spent over three years in Florida doing ministry there, and would you believe it, people in Florida complain about the weather. I mean, I remember it being November, and it was like high of 70, and they're like, it's too hot. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I told them, I've got family and friends back home that would like to smack you right now for, for saying it's too hot. But the point is, complaining uh, can be the opposite of contentment. It affects your outlook on life. And uh, whether you face the day with optimism or not. I think there's another thing, too, that can be the opposite of contentment, which is comparison. 
And if Satan could ever use one thing against us, especially in the world today, and be most effective, I think it would be comparison. We are constantly com- comparing ourselves to what other people have, and, and it's just a dangerous, uh, dangerous game that we play instead of focusing on what we do have and what God is calling us to do. It's like, you know, we're thankful for the new cat God blessed us with until we realize God blessed our neighbor with a new car. Then all of a sudden, Fluffy's not so precious anymore. (laughs) But we've got to stop. We've got to stop comparing ourselves to other people. We will never fully embrace today and what God's mission is for our lives if we're not content with what we have. Uh, Most of you know this by now, but if you don't, a little bit of personal news for me. I got engaged last week. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, Last Sunday night, and uh, we're very excited. Um, This past May, I turned 30 years old, and I know I don't look a day over 20, right? Um, But I will admit to you, there have been some time periods in my life where it was a challenge for me to remain content Uh, being single. I really feel like looking back, I was, when I was 22, 23 years old, I felt I was ready, um, ready for marriage. I was ready for that step and always looking forward to that. And then, so that's quite a bit of years in between where I was wondering um, when this would happen. And um, for the most part in my life, I've been able to be content with whatever God throws my way. Um, always trusting in God's timing over my timing. Um, even with this uh, subject, there, I was still uh, doing a pretty decent job being content in those areas, but there were a few times, whether it was through a, a bad breakup or it was, here comes comparison again. I would see so many of my friends getting engaged, getting married, and I would wonder, when's that going to happen for me? And so it was a struggle. Um, but I look back now, I'm th- very thankful, and I could see what the Lord was doing. Um, that's, a, that's an example for me. For you, it may be something entirely different. Uh, maybe it's hard to be content at work. Maybe it's hard to be content with your finances. Uh, maybe it's hard to be content with your current circumstances in some way. But we've got to remember the words of Paul. And remember the secret of being content is only found in Jesus Christ. We can do all things through him who gives us strength. You know, another famous Bible verse that you may know is Psalm 23, verse 1. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or another translation is, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. A question and a challenge, though, that we may have to ask ourselves today and every other day is, If the Lord is your shepherd, why are you still in want. If the Lord is our shepherd, why would we ever live like we are lacking anything? A verse like that's very easy to share and, and say with our mouths, but when things happen, sometimes it's hard um, to live it out. But again, all these facts about how blessed we are living where we live, and even more so, how blessed are we to be children of the Most High God? And to know that he loves you enough, he loves me enough, he saw enough in you and in me to go to a cross, to die in our place. And if we believe that story to be true, why would we ever live our lives as if that's not enough? Makes me think of an analogy that kind of goes with this. Imagine that I uh, offered you, um, invited you to go on a camping trip. 
And before we leave, I tell you that all you need to bring is a sleeping bag. That's it. That's all you need. So you think, well, that's kind of weird. I think I would need more than that, but all right, I'll trust you. And then we get to the campsite, and you see that I have a lot more than just a sleeping bag. You just brought a sleeping bag. I have a lot more. I've got bug spray. I've got lots of food for myself, not Sharon. I've got an air mattress. I've got a flashlight, battery charge fan. I mean, I have everything, and I'm not sharing with you. You'd be pretty upset. You would wonder, why did this guy even tell me that all you need is a sleeping bag? Why didn't he tell me the other things that he apparently needs? Well, here's the analogy. Unfortunately, I feel like a story like this is pretty similar to how a lot of Christians live their lives. I feel like a lot of Christians with their mouths say, and they tell their friends, Jesus is all you need. But then when their friend looks at their life, that's not what they see. When their friend looks at their life, they think, well, wait a minute, you you tell me that all I need is Jesus, but when I look at your life, it looks like you need money to be happy. It looks like you need to always be in a relationship to be happy. It looks like you always need the approval of other people to be happy. And it, it doesn't make sense to them when we say Jesus is all we need, but we don't live that out. And the truth is this, as a Christian, our very identity, our very DNA lies in Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to live a life that shows he really is all that we need. Even when things are, are going bad or going well, we've got to be content in all things. I want to show you a short uh, video clip at this time from a man named Nick Vujicic. Um, he is a man who was born with no arms and no legs. And he has a very inspiring story, so let's watch. Very powerful stuff. And uh, I had a chance to actually see uh, Nick speak a couple years ago in Florida. And he travels around the world um, sharing about his disability and what Christ has done in his life. And, you know, if anybody would have a reason to complain or not be content, um, it would be someone like that. And um, he has inspired so many people in his life that it is estimated that 500,000 people have come to know Christ because of Nick. And as he spoke uh, when I went to see him, here's what he had to say that night. He said, would I rather have arms and legs or would I rather see half a million people that I helped in heaven one day? That's an easy choice. Nick also said, I can either be angry for what I can't do and what I don't know or I can be thankful for what I can do and what I do know. And then he quoted Psalm 23. It said, Surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life, and one day I will live in the house of the Lord forever. So once, once again, we have to ask ourselves, if the Lord is our shepherd, why would we live like we lack anything? It's like the song, Better is One Day. We sing it sometimes in church, and um, it's from a psalm, uh, Psalm 84, verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but you could put together your 1,000 very best days that you've ever lived on this earth, put them together, live them over and over again, and it would still not equal one day in God's presence. So when times get tough, let's remain content because of that promise. There's another story, one that has, has meant a lot to me and I feel like is so incredibly important for us to understand and study together Um, from scripture. There was a man who was born blind 
back in Jesus' day. And, and the disciples actually ask him, uh, who sinned since he was born blind? Was it this man or his parents? And you may be familiar with that story. Um, back then, even more so than today, people believed that bad things happen to bad people. And good things happen to good people. And so um, for someone to be born blind, man, somebody must have really messed up. Somebody must have really made God mad for this to happen. But Jesus' response, and it's so important for us to understand this. Jesus' response in John 9, verse 3, is this. Neither this man sinned or his parents. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so we have another example of how we are a product of eternity, not time. This man was born blind for a purpose, like Nick was born that way for a purpose. And so I want you to remember this story the next time something's not going so well in your life. Instead of blaming yourself for it, and especially instead of blaming God for it, maybe take a step back and understand, maybe there's a reason for this. Maybe God wants to use this. He wants to use my story somehow if I allow him to do so. As I mentioned earlier, there are two things we're discussing. One of them, when should we be content? All the things that happened to me, my circumstances. Um, This second point, don't freak out on me. It's much shorter than the first, but it's equally as important. And to share times when we should not be content I want to turn to a quote from the great Charles Spurgeon. Now, if you don't know who Charles Spurgeon was, uh, many people, including myself, believe he was probably the best pastor to ever live outside of people from the Bible themselves. And here's what he had to say about this idea of contentment. He said, the Christian is the most contented man in the world, but the least contented with the world. So again, every detail of my life, the circumstances in my life, my joys, my fears, my troubles, all of that, I'm called to be content. But I am not supposed to be content with the problems of the world. I'm not supposed to be content with the people who don't know Christ. I'm not supposed to be content with evil and horrible things that we see going on. It's in those areas I need to step up and play a role in bringing God's kingdom here to earth. I mean, think about it. Do do you think God wants us to be content that we are saved, or does he want us to do whatever it takes to bring others with us? Does God want us to be content that I'm a churchgoer, or does he want you to be the church every day? See, discipleship is at the heart of being a Christian. We're called to reach other people and then train them how to reach more. Multiply, not just add. We want to multiply. This is how Jesus set Christianity in motion. It's the only way we can keep the movement going. And so if you ever feel tempted to keep your faith to yourself because you don't want other people, you don't want to bother them, please know that's a temptation straight from the powers of darkness. If you believe in Jesus and know that you're saved and you're content with that and, and you're kind of, you know, there's a lot of people that have this attitude and they think, well, you know, I don't want to bother others. They, they can believe what they want. That's fine. I know where I'm going, so I'm happy with that. Um, if that's our attitude, then we would be missing the point of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The Great Commission is clear. It's not a great suggestion, as Rick Warren says. Go into all the world, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Teach them to obey everything Christ has commanded. 
There's a movie I like to watch called The Guardian. Um, many, some of you may have seen it. It's, um, Kevin Costner is in it, and it's a movie about the U.S. Coast Guard. And Kevin's character in the movie is someone who saved like hundreds or thousands of lives um, being in the U.S. Coast Guard. And he's, he's known as one of the greatest in the history of the Coast Guard. And at one point in the movie, somebody asked him, how is it possible that you save so many people? And his response was this, and I love how it parallels Christianity. He said, I swim as fast as I can and as hard as I can for as long as I can. And so that mindset should be our mindset as Christians. I remember the first time I watched that movie, I thought, thought of Christianity the whole time and just how that should be our mindset, to do everything we can. And it's not going to be easy. It's not easy to reach a fallen world. But we should try as hard as we can for as long as we can, using the talents God has given us. At the end of my life, there's only six words I want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to live for the approval of man. I don't want to live for the uplifting words even of other people. I just want to hear those six beautiful words from my Savior one day. And it reminds me, the parable of the talents, I'm not going to share the whole thing, but just a, a quick point here. Matthew 25, there's three people. They're all given talents. Two of them put their talents to use. And what do they hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. One person does not put their talents to use. And they got thrown out in that story. So the whole purpose of that parable is to teach us whatever you have been given, whatever blessings, whatever resources, whatever talent God has given you, it is for a purpose. It is meant to be multiplied. Everything that we've been given, every talent, we can use it for his kingdom. And the great thing about that story is every person who put their talent to use, they got the same reward. They got the same reward, and that's what we're living for. We're living for those words, well done, good and faithful servant. One final verse I'd like to share this morning comes from 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, what does godliness even mean? Does it mean that you're more spiritual than other people? Does it mean that you sin less than other people? What does that mean? One of my favorite pastors to listen to is Judah Smith um, out in Seattle. Um, Listen to his sermons online. And he and his team did a, a word study on this entire passage. And when they got to this verse, what they came up with was godliness can basically mean being God aware. Doesn't mean you're better than anyone else. It just means you are God aware. And the word contentment they came up with was the word settled. So to follow this verse, it means we're God aware, we're acknowledging God in all things, and we're settled. So encouragement here is this, don't be stuff aware. Don't be other people aware. Don't be my current circumstances only aware. Be God aware. If we can acknowledge God in every situation, that'll help us follow both things. It'll help us to be content in all situations, and it'll then help us to reach other people the best that we can. He is the treasure hidden in the field, and the truth is there's a lot of things we'll face in the world that will hurt. Uh, maybe even right now you're going through something where you're struggling um, with being content with what God has placed in your life. 
But never forget, Jesus went to a cross so that this world no longer define you. So let's be content in all things. Let's know Christ is with us everywhere we go. And as a result of that, let's then reach out to other people who need to hear this amazing message. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And if today, if today is your day uh, to make Jesus the Lord of your life for the first time, if you want to say, Jesus, you are the treasure. And now that I've found you, I don't care about anything else. You are worth losing everything else for because you're the only treasure I need. If that's you, I want you to come forward uh, when we sing to give your life to him. Or if you need prayer, the elders will be up front um, as we stand and sing together.